Welcome to the Outsider Theory Podcast, where we explore the mutations of theories outside of the authorized spaces of intellectual life, as well as the ever-alluring figure of the outsider. If you're interested in this project, please subscribe to the podcast and follow my work at OutsiderTheory.com and at OutsiderTheory on Twitter. Sam Munson is the author of The November Criminals, The War Against the Assholes, and Dog Symphony, which is the book we'll be uh, discussing today. And he's also written for various publications, including N Plus One, The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, LA Review of Books, and others. And um, thanks so much for coming on. It's uh, it's a pleasure to talk, and I really love Dog Symphony. So, oh well, thank you very much for for having me, and I'm of course uh, very happy to hear that you you like the book. Yeah, so this is a um, it's a book that I suppose might be described as variously as Kafkaesque or a kind of surrealist fantasia or something like that. It's a uh, it's a book about a professor of uh, prison architecture or a historian of prison architecture who is invited to uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina to attend a conference. And he's invited by his uh, colleague in the field of prison architecture studies and sometime uh, lover. Uh, And he, interestingly, he has never been to Buenos Aires before, as far as I can tell, but he's seems to have studied the maps of it. So he has this kind of um, that he has this kind of clear image of it as a as a sort of, um, you know, the in a way, the kind of architectural layout of it. Um, and basically, as soon as he arrives, things get strange and then they start getting stranger and stranger. Um, and the central elements of this novel are essentially his uh, futile attempt to find this woman, Anna, who's invited him and his um, encounter with a situation that is somewhat difficult to to describe and encapsulate, but involves um, the city in the night filling up with um, these kinds of packs of of dogs who do not seem to be stray dogs because they're all wearing collars, but nevertheless are kind of roaming free through the city. And um, outside of every building and house, there are bowls of often sort of this descriptions of sort of this grotesque rotting meat and water left out for these dogs. And then meanwhile, there's a sort of uh, seeming movement that is somehow um, a a sort of quasi-religious or political movement that has sprung up kind of in relation to this dog, which he is repeatedly confronted with and sort of attempts to make sense of. Um, and there is finally the dog symphony of the title, the strange music that he keeps um, hearing over and over again, and which is eventually identified to him as, as dog symphony. So much of the novel is really him wandering around this uh, city, which has, and, and another background, which we'll get to later, is that he, he gradually learns that there was some sort of epidemic there and that some trace the emergence of this situation with the dogs to this epidemic. And without giving away too much, believe that the dogs are, um, or that the souls of those who died in the epidemic have passed it. Um, so I think that sort of sets the scene. I don't know if there are any other important elements you want to bring up just so people have sure. a basic sense of that. Yeah, that, that's, that's very succinct. And, uh, 
and uh, also quite um, quite full and rich uh, summary of it. I think there there's sort of one other element which we can perhaps talk a bit more about later, which is that amid all of these other changes, uh, there has arisen a new division of the administrative state within the city yeah. that kind of spans the government itself as well as uh, the, the major university of the city where he has in fact been invited to uh, give a talk at this at, a, at an academic conference. And that these repeated encounters that you mentioned also include this his encounters with this um, this sort of administrative division, which has uh, close to plenary power. Uh, the extent of its full power is never really um, delineated. Uh, and the name of that is, uh, as uh, as I'm sure you recall from having read it, the Department of Social Praxis. Um, yeah. So that's sort of that's yeah, that's Dog Symphony uh, in, uh, in, in a nutshell. And uh, yeah, so we can uh, we can we can move on from there. Yeah. So, I mean, the other element here is right. He he goes to try to find this um, this colleague. And this is where he first encounters the department, the Department of Social Praxis initially appears to it's almost as if, yeah, there's this kind of reorganization of the university. And he encounters this figure, uh, Sanchez Mira, mm-hmm. who um, who he believes is a colleague of his of his friend, but then turns out to claim not to know her. And, that, you know, there appears to be some kind of takeover of the university, as you say, by this Department of Social Praxis, which is a, a term I really love. It's <laughs> I can almost imagine sort of my own university being <laughs> taken over by such a thing. <laughs> well, I hope not. I hope not. I, I hope mean, not. You know, it's, uh, I, I, <laughs> it's a grim thought, but um... yeah. But yeah, I, I love the I love the term. But so basically, um, the other thing that I you know for me was very wonderful about this novel without getting too much into it is just the, I mean, it's clearly a kind of homage to various um, Argentine authors. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it does actually cite, so it, it I mean, Cesar Aira, who, who's also published by New Directions in English, which published this um, and who I recommend to people if they haven't read him, but he um, he's kind of, he's never mentioned, but he's alluded to through, the repeated mentions of two um, places that he's associated with. One is the neighborhood of Flores and the other is his hometown of Coronel Pringles. And um, I would, so, I'd, I would interject here yeah. that um, uh, Julio Zenz is uh, more or less Ira, although it's never made yeah. explicit this, this writer whose name appears uh, a few times in the book. Right. And he, um, and there, there's a, you know, it's it's he has this uh, because the the protagonist, despite being sort of having never been to the city before, has this kind of encyclopedic knowledge of its of it, its kind of atlas. He um, it, there's a street that's been renamed for this author, mm-hmm. um, which is where he believes his colleague might live. And it turns out. But um, but yeah, so Ira is really a kind of significant presence, sort of intertext for this novel. Um and, you know, I would also obviously mention Borges, who does make a, you know, who, who does get referenced. Um, and so, you know, th- there is this element of just it, it being a city that's kind of infused with literature and the literary. Um, so, you know, I, I think that 
that's um that's important and that, that i i sort of think there's like a you know I, again I'm, I'm interested in this fact that he arrives in the city without having been there but has the sense so there's a kind of map and territory mm-hmm. um dichotomy where it's like he he knows the map but he's repeatedly bewildered by the territory mm-hmm. and so there there's something about that in relation to i mean that's a theme that borges is very interested in Ramus. Um, you know, the, this famous passage about uh, these people who design a map that is supposed to perfectly match the territory, but then it, of course, is is so that is as vast as the territory itself. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, I think, you know, I, I was reading that in kind of a Borgesian way and fi- finding that very interesting as a theme. And then um, it also, you know, seems to me that in a way, like, the, you know, you mentioned that the uh, the street is... Um, you know, this sort of uh, um, fictionalized Ira, but, you know, it seems to me there's a way in which kind of the coordinates of this space are themselves kind of literary, right? It's kind of um, an urban space that's kind of made up of and sort of haunted very precursors in some way. Mm -hmm. So, so I really like that because I'm so, I, I love all of that literature. So I thought it did something really interesting with that relationship. Um, so, I mean, obviously there, there's something about that in terms of the genesis of it. Um, then there's this other element, which is that, you know, the, the author's name Boris Pasternak. Indeed, so, yes. Sorry, the, the, the narrator, or the, the narrator is named Boris Pasternak and the, who is the prison architect or, or prison architect historian. And so there, and he's a, you know, he's an expert on Russian, um, prisons. And so there, there is kind of a Russian element of this as well. And then interestingly, similar to what sometimes happens in Borges, um, all of the Argentine characters, or most of the Argentine characters have German names. Right, yes. You know, you have these various, uh, I'm trying to remember, you have Schultz and Klemperer and uh, and, um, um, Luxembourg. Yeah, all of the, uh, all of the, um, functionaries, the the security state functionaries of this department that you are worried might someday take over NYU yeah. <laughs> are given the names of um, German and Austrian Jews. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know Rosa Luxemburg, Victor Klemper, right. you know, and and uh, so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I think I I've sort of um, laid out some of the coordinates of it that most caught my attention. Um, you know, I don't know if this is like a fun question or, or not, or, or sort of a, an undesirable one, but, you know, I'm just curious about kind of the genesis of the novel and sure, you know, how, how some of these, these varied elements sort of came together. Um, well, uh, I mean, part of it is of course, um, you know, my own reading as you, as I'm sure you probably can pick up from having read it that, you know, these books that you mentioned are, are books that have kind of mattered a lot to me uh, over the course of my life. Um, and, uh, part of it is from a deep seated, somewhat absurd and insane, but nonetheless quite real wish that I myself was an Argentine. Uh, and this, I think this book probably is a working through of that in some way. It comes out of that kind of, you know, need to be something other than an American, which, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, animates some strains, uh, within American writing. Um, but, you know, there's also, I think, just you, you sort of brought it up when you talked about this kind of map territory distinction and this idea that in order to be accurate, you know, a map has basically has to be for all practical purposes, you know, infinite. 
Um, and infinitude is, you know, a huge subject for Borges. It's an equally huge subject for uh, Cesare Ira, uh, who's sort of constantly bringing up these ideas of just endlessly pullulating multitudes of numbers, of people, of cities. And one of his stories, um, which appears in his volume, that's called The Musical Brain. Uh, it's a story called The All That Plows Through the Nothing. Um, he devises this calculation based on the fact that every year he reads a couple of stories about someone having returned a wallet full of money in Buenos Aires that they found in the back of a cab, you know, using a series of fundamental principles, which are sort of, you know, comically kind of pedantic and obviously somewhat specious on the face of them. He arrives at the conclusion that there must be 10 billion uh, citizens of Buenos Aires in order for this to happen with this frequency. So this, you know, this, this idea of, of the frightening side of infinitude, um, the kind of horrific uh, inhumane side of it, I think is, is present in both of them. And I think that's also it's something that's always fascinated me. Uh, and this is this book is definitely a way of approaching that. Um, and of course, when you get into sort of the the horror of large numbers, uh, I guess you might call it, um, you inevitably end up, uh, at least in the 20th century, the 21st century, I think, uh, dealing in some way uh, with 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 politics, which is this, you know. Um, horrifyingly infinite subject, which sort of inserts itself uh, into everything, particularly if you're an American, you know, America is sort of, you know, the, 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 the political country par excellence almost. Um, so, so that, you know, that those are a lot of the things that were um, going into the genesis of it. I mean, you know, there are other sort of like more kind of uh, sort of shorter term things, you know, as in, you know, uh, I was writing it at the point where a lot of the, um, concepts and language and social structures that we see operating now were really beginning to come forward. They were by no means ascendant uh, to the degree that they are now. Um, but, you know, uh, sort of these sort of structures of thought and structures of community that kind of emerge from a certain sort of like post-war, like academic Marxist or Marxian way of viewing the world, uh, you know, that, I mean, you know, sort of the, the easy anthropological symbols for discussing this would obviously be like the ascent of the DSA, um, the, uh, you know, this kind of this, uh, this, this, this move to sort of a position of in incredible social and political power of what's called identity politics, somewhat, you can argue that's something of a misnomer. Um, these, you know, these are all things that were sort of on the boil uh, in, um, in 2014 and 2015, which is when I sort of began writing the book. And, you know, those trends have only, uh, they have only intensified, um, I think since then. So that, that's another, another element, um, you know, uh, that was kind of, at least in the back of my mind. Yeah. I mean, you know, something that occurs to me in relation to, I mean, I'm interested in the, the sort of to be an Argentine, um, you know, because for Borges and the Argentine writer and tradition, you know, the the advantage of being an Argentine is that you can be anything, right? It's this kind of... Right. Um, it's this, it's, I mean, it's this position of of a sort of infinite um, adaptability and a, a capacity to appropriate, right? And that, I think, 
is in a sense uh, a function of this kind of idea of, you know, it's sort of the emptiness of the pampas, right? Is this, this kind of pure mathematical grid that can just be, you know, filled in with different signifiers or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's, there's something like that going on in this, um, you know, so, so that, you know, and, and I, I also think of, I mean, it, it seems like there, there are quite a few um, novels by, you know, North American, you know, U.S. writers uh, <clears throat> that are set in or have something to do with Argentina. I mean, so actually, like, well before I discovered this, I was sort of curious about this phenomenon. I might write something about it at some point. But I mean, one that I particularly like is um, Rivka Galchin's uh, Atmospheric Disturbances. Mm -hmm. But um, but in any case, it, it seems to me that often Argent, and th this is kind of explicit in that, that Argentina is like, it's like the underside or the, you know, in, I mean, it's kind of a silly reference, but like in Stranger Things where there's like the, yeah, the below world or whatever. It's, you know, it's, it's an, like an antipodes almost, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's like you can just take, you know, from the perspective of an American writer, it's almost like you can just kind of project everything onto that and it, it becomes this kind of bizarre um, in many ways, it's kind of inverted version of itself. Um, and so, so it becomes a way, it becomes a kind of screen onto which project all of these different themes. And, you know, and I mean, what's interesting is Borges, like, you know, his, um, his story, the uh, La Morte y la Brujula, Death on the Compass, where he kind of, um, you know, it's, it's a story that um, it's, you know, the characters, again, all have these German or Scandinavian mm -hmm. names. Um, it involves Jewish characters um, and a lot of stuff about Kabbalah. It's a detective novel. It's a gangster story. But, you know, he, he describes it as, um, I mean, in a sort of prefatory text, he describes it as a sort of Buenos Aires of dreams sort of distorted by the um, the, the sort of horror of a nightmare. Um, so, I mean, he himself kind of, you know, when he approaches Argentina, he kind of approaches it that way as well as a, I mean, and he himself is kind of, you know, positions himself repeatedly in various ways as a foreigner, right. As somebody whose mother tongue was English, mm -hmm. as somebody who's like not really, but sort of identifies as Jewish and stuff like that. So he's, he's always kind of playing those kind of games himself with Argentina as a, as a sort of backdrop for his fictions. Um, so yeah, it, it seems to me it, it, it's that, it's that kind of, um, it, it has that kind of potential and, you know, it has that potential for North American writers and it seems to also have that potential for Argentine writers. I mean, I think of, of Cortázar as well, of Hopscotch. There it's like Paris and Buenos Aires. Mm -hmm. so it's like weird, these weird kind of doubles. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> one is Aka, the other is Aya. You know, they're sort of um, the, these sort of uh, mirror, mirror, sort of distorted mirrors of each other. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, you know, I, I really like how you sort of play with the potentiality of that. You know, the, the, the writers from that country as well as writers from, you know, I, I think there's something there about just the way that it's, you know, that there's something weirdly, um, there's something weirdly hazy and undefined about it, you know. Right. Um, and which... that, that's, and, and that I think is kind of a, you know, a quality it shares with the United States in a sense that it's, it's, it's recent. It doesn't have a kind of deep history, yeah. modern construct. Um, and it is, and... it's, it's in a certain sense, it's too physically, it's sort of too large for, you know, the, for human perception in a way, you know what I mean? You can sort of imagine just, you know, a Luxemburger, for example, having like a pretty strong um, sort of proprietary sense of their their own nation. But I, I think that once you get above a certain geographical scale, it just 
it becomes fundamentally mysterious in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And it is that, you know, it has that similar, again, that kind of, I mean, it's the map and the territory again, yeah. it has that kind of flat expanse sort of mathematical sublime quality, which goes back to the infinity. Mm-hmm. We have, on the other hand, this, um, I mean, another, uh, an, an American writer who wrote a novel set under the Argentine dictatorship in the 70s, Nathan, Nathan Englander. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's the, the Ministry, Ministry of, of Lost Causes or something. It has some yeah. title like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, Ministry of Special Cases. Yes. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's another one of these, right, where it's kind of this um, this North American writer kind of using Argentina as a as a sort of dream space mm-hmm. um, or a sort of nightmare space under which maybe more localized themes can be projected in some way. Um, but, you know, it, it, it brings up kind of another theme that I think is often, you know, it's because it has this strange political history, it. it um, you know, in this extremely dark and disturbing political f- of disappearances of, you know, uh, political violence, it, you know, it, it becomes a kind of political nightmare space as well for, for kind of interrogating the more extreme possibilities that, that maybe seem, um, you know, se- that seem like the sort of nightmarish underside of, you know, if you think about what, I mean, cause it's a, you know, it's a country that again has a kind of somewhat parallel history to the United States in terms mm-hmm. of its, you know, having a relatively, um, a sort of relatively recent beginning to its history, having also a genocide, you know, a significant genocide of Native Americans, having um, uh, a, you know, period of intense industrialization and um, industrial wealth, but also a large sort of agricultural heartland. Mm -hmm. And so it, you know, there are certain parallels, but obviously it's, it's political history is sort of an embodiment of like some of the worst nightmares that we might have here. And that, Indeed. you know, many of the sort that many people were bringing up in the Trump era, right. That, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, imagine if they just start sort of rounding up political enemies and disappearing them. Well, you know, so that's, that's the place where that's happened. And, um, you know, and it's, it's notable in part because it, it it's a, in many ways, a, a highly modern and modernized country, right. That, that nevertheless kind of fell in, and, you know, so I, I suppose like another dimension of this, which, you know, again, is is um, framed in such a strange and bewildering way that it, it doesn't, you know, it defamiliarizes this thematic, I would say, that the way that you treat it, it, it doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't kind of um, fall back on this theme of like the disappeared and so on, which is very familiar. Um, and instead, it, it frames this kind of authoritarian political transformation in um in a very, uh, in a very different and quite sort of absurdist way. Um, so could you describe, because uh, <laughs> I think it's, I find it, you know, it's, it's very uh, strange to try to make sense of. Um, of course, yes. <laughs> and, and I think that's part of the point, but how, how would you, how would you describe like, what is the nature of this authoritarian transformation that seems to be happening? I would say that it's, um, it's, it's biological, it's ecological. It's it's the creation of a new food chain, quite literally, in that you mentioned before the dogs and you mentioned before the meat. Uh, the dogs are the source of the meat. Uh, the dogs are former humans. Um, the Department of Social Praxis kind of handles the administrative and security aspects of maintaining this new order, uh, making sure that the dogs are processed into meat. Uh, 
there's a, a, a company, the Ohea Meat Distribution Company, which ensures that the meat is uh, distributed throughout the city, uh, that it is eaten, and that it is also fed back to the dogs in these nightly offerings. Um, and despite the fact that, you know, uh, Boris Leonidovich um, finds it horrific, as I think many, many people might encountering it, um, it nonetheless is coherent. It's frighteningly coherent. Uh, and it has that sort of um, reassuring, almost inescapable quality of, of, of ecology, of an ecological process that sort of occurs, you know, within and behind and around uh, your, your daily life. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting you say authoritarian. I mean, it, it unquestionably is, uh, you know, Sanchez Murat, who is nominally the head of this department, has, um, you could sort of call it um, uh, interdisciplinary, uh, sort of interagency authority over academic institutions, commercial institutions, religious institutions, um, and then the actual the sort of administrative organs for which of which he is nominally the head. Um, but you know he 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 appears very little, uh, and he none of these none of the actual administrators of this regime really seem to benefit much from it in a in any sort of material meaningful way. Uh, you know they too seem to be kind of you know playing uh, playing a role in this in this new ecology. Um, and I think you know th- that sort of aspect of it. Uh, was you know as the as the book was sort of developing was sort of one of the most interesting to me at least because I I don't know I think that I think that um, I mean even sort of aside from the question of you know what is normalized and what kind of the human mind can get used to the answer of course is almost anything um, sort of besides that sort of idea of like you know being inured or numbed anesthetized to you know horrors. I mean, I think that there is this sort of under-discussed element just that when processes, political or otherwise, reach a certain scale, they take on this organic quality, um, this ecological, ecological, not psychological, this ecological quality. Um, and that's part of the reason that uh, I think changing them is is difficult, you know, uh, because they 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 sort of, we tend to whether we know it or not, I think we tend to, um, you know, we, we read, you know, we, we read sort of nature into them or we read nature out of them, you know, and perhaps, perhaps they are, I mean, we make them, we are part of nature, perhaps they are ecological in a way. Um, I don't know. Uh, but this sort of idea that there's a, a life cycle for, you know, you die you come back as a dog, you run around for a while, you are caught, butchered, uh, your meat is eaten then by humans and other dogs, your skin is made into belts and purses and things of that nature. Uh, and then, you know, who knows that, that what sort of what happens after that is, uh, is, is, is left, is left open to the reader to imagine. But um, yeah, I just, I sort of, uh, this, this, this kind of biological ecological side of it sort of welled up um, as as I was writing it, and uh, I, I, you know, it, it felt it felt like worth worth empath- em- emphasizing and uh, and and worth uh, worth pursuing. Absolutely, and yeah. So I mean, I think we could say it's a kind of um, you know something I've been writing about recently is this concept of biopolitics. Indeed, it's, it's a 
it's an entirely biopolitical regime in the sense that it's its function is to, as you said, kind of regulate the life cycle, right? And and sort of channel it in this specific way, um, which, yeah, which in a way makes it um, entirely sort of self-contained. It, it makes it creates this kind of self-contained life cycle, which you know is is an and you know it it takes. I mean, part of the the process of the novel is sort of um, the protagonist gradually figuring out what's going on. Um, and then I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how you feel about spoilers. I suppose we could spoil the end. But, oh, yeah. But no, let's, I, I'm let's just saying briefly, um, yeah. you know, becoming becoming part of this process himself. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. There we go. That's that's a good that's a good euphemism. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's um, so. Yeah. So it's um, again, it's. I think it's about something that's quite real, right? Which is um, this um, probably, you know, tendency towards increased involvement of the state in this kind of regulation of the life cycle. And um, at the same time, it's, as I said, put in a kind, you know, put in this kind of absurdist form, right? Where it's, it's defamiliarized. Um, And also, you know, it's, um, I mean, the whole point of it is that it's kind of simplified, right? It's yeah, <laughs> it's and kind of, and and sort of uh, you know uh, uh, gross, I guess, in both senses of those terms, and that it's yeah. you know it's, no, it's, it's, little, totally, it's a little yeah. disgusting to read, but yeah. also it's you know it's yeah. not it's not like a fine grained uh, you know sort of yeah. pharmaceutical system of control, for example. You know what I mean? Right. It's, uh, it's more yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It's interesting um, that. Psychology that um, social psychologist uh, Jonathan Haidt, who teaches at NYU, he has a couple of um, he has a couple of things just about dis- you know things that provoke disgust, and it's interesting. Like I remember there being something that I shared with my students where it was like <clears throat> they had to decide what whether cannibalism or eating dog like eating a family dog was like more horrifying to them. So it's interesting in relation <laughs> to because you know there that this is kind of a. It's it's a kind of um, sublimated cannibalism that's going on. Yeah. But um, but at the same time, it's you know, <laughs> it's interesting that the whole question of eating dogs is, I mean, it's obviously a sort of cultural one in some ways. But it, it you know, I think there are sort of surveys that show it's like one of the most disgusting things, at least sort of you know, North American. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, which no, that which is which is absolutely one yeah. of the reasons I think that I I kind of yeah. fixated on the idea because it is. I mean, I I am not you know a huge dog fan. I'm not particularly grossed out by the idea of eating a dog. Uh, you know, as long as it was reared in good conditions and humanely, I don't really see much of a problem with it. But people, there there is this, as you are absolutely correct to point out, there is a taboo around it, around specifically around dogs, uh, which is. Which is fascinating, um, and you know the human canine relationship. I think is just such a, you know, it's sort of so clouded by sentiment in a way that you know it's hard to see it. But I just, it's so fascinating. Why? Why do we love dogs? I would say we love them because they are um, they are servile, and they are very good at mirroring our emotions. And so this, you know, this is what in dogs we call this loyalty, whereas in a human we would describe it as borderline sociopathy. And so I don't know, I find that I find, I find sort of the human dog link um, absolutely fascinating. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like dogs fine, but there is this, you know, there is this, uh, 
there's this sort of strangeness in our, in our, in our relationship with them. Um, but th- I mean, yeah. that's sort of, you know, that's a, that's a, that's sort of a divigation from, uh, I think from the point, uh, the point that you were, you were trying to make about, about disgust. Yeah. Right. And you know, I'm, it's interesting that um, I was reading just the other day about, um, you know, there, there are certain societies in um, East Africa that, you know, have these elaborate like cat cultures of cattle rearing, right. Where, and basically like the, the cattle exist in a parallel form to the human society, right? They're, they're sort of, you know, for every sort of human relationship, they're like relationships with and between cattle, all that, right? So, and, you know, one interpretation of this is like the cattle are, are sacrificial, right? Are used for sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a substitute, so that there's a, you know, one way of reading this is as a substitution. When you have right. many records of this idea in many cultures that you had human sacrifice at some point, and then you had um, animal sacrifice, you had yeah. animal sacrifice kind of taking its place, right? So, but the idea here is that, you know, in order for the sacrifice to work, the animals have to be as close to humans as possible certainly they have to be um they have to be kept close so that they still carry enough resemblance that the sacrifice functions Mm -hmm. you know comparably to how human sacrifice would anyway that's an interpretation now you know in this case it's like are you familiar with um the ruin of kosh by uh roberto colazzo no i haven't i have read some of his work but not that yeah, that's I really recommend it. I mean, a lot of it is actually about this theme of sacrifice. Huh. Right? But what he um he has this line about um you know today sacrifice lives on as a vast industrial undertaking that shuns the name of sacrifice like that. Approximately, that's the quote. Approximately, so you know it's this is kind of what you know. There's a sense in which this um is the kind of sacrificial society where certainly where there is this this sort of parallel breed that is that is maintained in order to be sacrificed, right? But it is in this kind of bureaucratized and industrialized form that, you know, is that sort of obscures that in some sense, right? Because it's, it's almost, despite how bizarre it is, it's kind of resolved into this like utilitarian um, procedure, right? Oh yes. Yeah. Um, and it's, so it's sort of deritualized. Um Although but, rich, ritual does crop up a bit in the form, both right, I think of true. the song itself and in the in these meat bowls that are kind of set out as propitiatory offerings to the you know true. to the sacrifices, the divine victims, and I then, guess you could say. But right, and then you have the worship of the the effigy of Saint Christopher. Yes, yeah, right with the the um. So that's where I was. You know, it's as if there's this kind of cult that's sprung up, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, the. And St. Christopher, you know, does in fact, is in fact represented with a dog head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, so yeah, there is that kind of cultish ritualistic aspect um, that that kind of goes along with this. Um, so I suppose the other thing that we haven't, and this relates to the sacrificial, you know, um, the, I wrote something about a year ago about the relationship between plague and sacrifice, right? That historically, there's a a notion that in order to, you know, one of the ways of curing a plague is by um, carrying out an appropriate sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, you know, here we have this idea of a, um, a, an epidemic that seems to have happened somewhere in the relatively recent past. And that's cited by some people as the kind of point of origin of evolved this whole strange new regime. Um, and so, 
you know, I, I mean, part of me wonders if we can read that relationship between plague and sacrifice into this, but obviously it's also, you know, and this perhaps gets us into this um, other aspect I wanted to discuss, which is just, you know, how this, how this book looks to you after having, you know, been through like the past year and a half, but um, <laughs> perhaps first just like this whole, um, this whole theme of the epidemic as the sort of backdrop of this, um, this entire strange new yeah. sort of administrative bureaucratic state that's that's arisen yeah well you know um the the epidemic in question uh is over by the time the book begins uh its nature is unclear uh and the subject of um argument intense arguments even within a single family uh, as we see in the novel um what is clear is that um in its wake uh this new sort of um administrative organization, the Department of Social Praxis has effectively risen uh, in to command the city. Um, it is certainly not explicit, but I think it is to some degree implied that um, many of the participants in the new society see the whole thing with the dogs, both the, you know, the um, sort of eating of the dog meat, the leaving out of the dog meat, the singing, the singing of the dog symphony, the blowing of the whistles, as uh, propitiatory, uh, certainly, um, and you know uh, the sort of the new administrative regime uh, participates in that as well. They're sort of happy to let it happen, and they don't really interfere too much uh, with the um, with the sort of the 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 these processes. You know, even though historically um sort of intense acts of religious devotion intense foci of religious feeling can often form a uh the, the the kernels of of you know sort of 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 loci of resistance uh uh to sort of to political power um they sort of have a more they coexist they um when and where possible they sort of use it to their advantage um so yes, I think you're absolutely correct to sort of see some element of you know propitiation of the the bringer of the plague, uh, whoever that might be. Um, for the Greeks, of course, it was also it was uh, uh, it was Apollo, notably the god of of reason and music, also the god of the god of the god of healing, and thus uh, apotropaically, uh, the term is uh, god of plagues. Um, and it is sort of left open. Uh, to the reader's imagination, the specific mechanics by which uh, this Department of Social Practice came into power. You know, when Pasternak arrives, they are entrenched. There do not does not seem to be any significant challenge to them. Uh, life has kind of been readjusted. Uh, it has readjusted. It's been reorganized, or it reorganized itself. Uh, the that 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 period of the city's recent history is, is concealed. Um, and, you know, uh, part of that is I, you know, I just think, I think it's sort of more interesting when a process is like in, in, in full bloom and is ongoing rather than when you sort of see the kind of, you know, rickety uncertain beginnings of it. Um, and, you know, part of that is obviously kind of just the space constraints, the, 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 the constraints of the narrative time in which the novel takes place. Um, but, I, it does, I think, to some degree, um, 
open on to the, the, the second question you asked, which is, what does it look like to me now? Um, you know, if you had sort of asked me when I was writing the book, well, how did they, you know, how did they manage to sort of do this so, so well, you know, these, this former sociolog lecturer and sociologist in law, how did he, how did he appoint himself sort of the dictator of a powerful city state, you know, because that's effectively what the Buenos Aires of the book has become. It's a, you know, it's, it's really no longer part of the larger Argentinian polity. Uh, you know, we, we see that in Pasternak's attempts to uh, leave via train, uh, via plane, via bus. These are, these are all frustrated. Um, how did they do that? I probably would have said, I, I don't, I don't really know. You know, that's not, that's not really my field of expertise. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a political organizer or political historian. We'll just sort of, we'll read into it that, you know, in some subtle, you know, sort of, you know, skilled, uh, you know, malevolent way, they did it. And, you know, I have to say, uh, listen, I, I want to preface what I'm about to say with a few disclaimers. Uh, the first of which is that I am not in any in any way a COVID skeptic. Uh, it is a it is it is a plague. It has killed millions of people, uh, you know, outside of the developed world, in you know, particularly in Brazil and India at the moment. You see how devastating and real it is. Uh, I'm not a vaccine skeptic. I am vaccinated. My wife is vaccinated. When they clear the vaccines for our children, we will be getting our children vaccinated. Uh, you know, so as 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 interested as I am, and as sort of repelled by I, as I am by you know what you know the, the sort of the biopolitical aspects of 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 the modern state, I am I am not I am not a denier or a skeptic in any way. But I have to say that the the speed and just total um, obviousness with which, you know, uh, I can really, and I can really only speak about America here as an American, you know, living in New York at every level, you know, from the federal to the state to the municipal. And I think that's particularly true uh, here in New York, where we've had at the state and municipal levels, um, great exemplars of the kind of politics uh, that I think we, we're going to be talking about. Um, I would not have believed it could have been done so swiftly and also so crudely, you know, without with only the sort of the most flimsy, constantly revised, constantly uh, uh, self-contradicting of justifications. Um, I would not have suspected that this enum the enumeracy of the American educated classes, uh, which, you know, is a very real thing. I would never have suspected that it, 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 it would have been this massive impairment to any kind of broader picture of the disease itself, of the risks associated with it, and any real assessment of some of the proposed remedies. Um, I, I, in general, I have been uh, astonished by the uh, as I said, by the speed and nudity and crudity of these efforts undertaken by uh, various, you know, various sort of the state in quotes, but, you know, in its various incarnations at the local state and federal level. Um, and the speed with which these improvisations uh, have become codified in social relations, uh, you know, these political 
legal, what are called NPIs, non-pharmaceutical inventions. That's a sort of a jargonic term for them in public health uh, literature. Uh, they have they have changed our mores. You know, they have fundamentally changed our mores. Um, so, you know, this is kind of a very roundabout answer to, to you know, to the question you asked. Um, I would say one, which is that, you know, for me, the past year has been uh, highly educative uh, in that, you know, I think it just it, re- it revealed a lot of things that I, I might have sort of in my darker moments suspected were true of, of American life. Um, but it has it has it has demonstrated them irrefutably. It has filled in this kind of blank area in, you know, my mental geography of the novel as well, which is, you know, how did these people manage to do it so smoothly uh, with so apparent little interruption to the flow of life? Um, And, you know, I mean, it's it's sort of, you know, it's customary to sort of refer to books, you know, they're written and then something in them kind of comes true or kind of vaguely comes true, or, you know, they seem to refer to something outside of them that later happens, you know, to call it, you know, it's prescience. I mean, I think that's a very silly way of thinking about it. You know, obviously uh, that's, you know, that sort of implies like a kind of mystic, you know, foresight into the future, which nobody possesses. Um, But, you know, (laughs) like, I wrote this book to investigate certain tendencies of contemporary life and, you know, to investigate them through perhaps exaggerating them into kind of a nightmarish form, you know, in this, you know, the, the, the blank and infinite screen of Argentina that we discussed before. Um, but I, 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 I don't really know what to say other than that. I, I, I wish that my portrayal of this, you know, were less accurate. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, boast by being humble here. Uh, I, I sincerely do. I have, I have sincerely been horrified by how close to the psychological and social reality, at least events of the book, uh, you know, the events outside the book have hewed, you know? Um, and so is that, you know, that sort of, that, that, that would be my response to what, to what you said, uh, has been a sense of vertiginous personal horror. Uh, I don't, I don't really know, I don't really know how else to, how else to characterize it beyond that. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I think another element would be the fact that, <clears throat> you know, I, I think I'm, I'm on a pretty similar I'm probably about on the same page as you, um, you know, as regards your disclaimers, um, maybe a little bit, I don't know, more sympathetic to at least some kinds of skepticism, although only the, the very mild kinds, but, um, but, you know, what's interesting to me is the way that we're not <laughs> like, you know, what's so what the experience of this novel is, is this um, protagonist attempting to make sense of this social world that no longer makes sense. And that, you know, is has taken on all of these bizarre qualities that that it would seem that people living in it have just come to accept, right? And and so it takes them a while to figure it out in part because nobody will just say, look, here's how things are, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, because because they themselves have sort of right have, right. have sort of um, naturalized in their mind, right? right. Um, and so you know, and that's part of how they they've become just kind of automatic, right? They, they've just um, become the, become the social praxis, I guess. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, so what's interesting here to me is um, this fact that, 
you know, I, I think we can, I mean, I use this, like when I just in casual conversation, like I always use this phrase, the before times. We sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And like, <laughs> you know, it's just, I mean, it's such a weird way of talking, but it's totally true. Right? Of course. But, you know, it's like, you're always saying all these things in the past tense. There are all these things that you just don't do or can't do anymore. Um, and, you know, that's very weird. Right. But I've sort of gotten used to it. Um, and I mean, I think I started using that phrase as a joke, but it was just so useful because it seemed kind of, you know. Well, I mean, we are, we are, we are living in the aftertimes, no questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah. must be a before times as well. And so, but there is some way that we're also, or at least when you, when you sort of start prodding at this with some people, you know, there is just a resistance to kind of defamiliarize the situation we're living in now. Right. And there's sort of this idea that no, it's all completely fine. It's all normal. There's nothing, nothing has changed. You know? Yeah. And, and, and there's kind of this, like, I mean, you know, it's, I've, I've gotten into it with people about like the masking and so on. And it's like, not that I'm a, you know, I'm not like a, I mean, I've worn masks for most, you know, I, I guess basically until I got vaccinated. I, I mean, I, I was always, of course. Like, I always thought it was ridiculous to wear them like outside in the park or something, but yeah, know, but there's a, there's, there's yeah. a huge amount of social pressure and there still yeah. is, you know, and we see, I right. think, you know, by the fact that, you know, particularly in New but, York, people are masked yeah. up all the time still, you know, so that pressure is still felt widely. Yeah. And I guess what's weirdest to me about it is that people won't admit that there's anything wrong with it, right? Or that I mean, and won't well, admit. I mean, I, but but aside from there being something wrong with it, like you know, if you uh, you can't even get them to admit that it's it's a social thing, which that's yeah. fine. I mean, people do things for sort of non medical. Sure. You know, they you know we wear shirts and pants. You you don't. I mean, in the summer, yeah. Why not? Or like you know, there's different conventions about female and male shirtlessness in America, for example, sure. than there are in Europe. But it's, it's precisely your point that it's like, there's no, they, they won't, there's no, there's no room to discuss that. It's even, mm. it's just a, it's sort of a choice. You know what I mean? What the mask yeah. is, the mask is, it is a reflection of a, of a necessity. You know what I mean? That has been yeah. kind of completely read into the, the foundations of our, social interactions now. And I, I mean, to, 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 to say that there's sort of, it's impossible to defamiliarize it. It's impossible even to talk about it. You know what I mean? Let, let alone the, the, the more elaborate, difficult exercise of, of defamiliarizing it, you know? Um, I, th I, think that's, I, think that's, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and there's, there's something sort of, for me at least, it's, it's quite unsettling to, to encounter this, you know? Yeah, and just, you know, I mean, for me, the thing is like, you know, watch it, just watch any TV, watch any movies. Like you're, you know, you're watching this world that like we can't have anymore. Right. <laughs> and, yet, and so it's like, presumably if I guess the thought I've had is like, if the people really believe that, then they should think that we should like watch TV in which people are all wearing masks. Right. Like, why not? I mean, I, I think there's like, you know, th that's the, that's sort of the disjunction, right. Where it's like, we're just because of entertainment, you know, we're, we're being exposed to this image of a world, which was not that long ago in which certain things were not the case. And, you know, so it's like, it's constantly being held out before us. And yet when we just like, you know, when you make any comments to the point that, you know, it would be good to like, not, <laughs> not be in this state forever. It's kind of like, there's a denial that it's even a thing. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, and you're, and you're sort of, um, you know, you, you're you're you are treated as though you are 
I mean, really, uh, you know, as though you've committed uh, just a hideous solecism. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which is which is fascinating. I mean, I, to your point about the absence of masks from entertainment, I think that's true. However, one thing that I think you are definitely seeing more of is the presence of masks in fashion shoots. Uh, that is coming. And I think obviously in the next, say, three to five years, there's going to be a huge amount of TV and movies that, you know, where the sort of the cinematic reality has caught up to the COVID reality. And so I think for a long time, we're going to be we're going to be seeing that on the screen as well. And that I think is going to be very interesting because then, you know, this disjuncture that you're talking about, um, will cease to kind of, you know, be sand, you know, s- sort of itching sand in our, you know, in our, in our, in our brains. Uh, uh, and I don't know, it's, 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 it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating to me. Um, the, 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 the instant and apparently in many cases, irreversible change in mores. I mean, it's also fascinating to me how geographically specific it is too, you know, which sort of shows you how, um, localized, uh, uh, social power is, you know, in this in this nation. You know what I mean? That you might you might as well be living in different countries, even within the same state. You know, like uh, you know, for example, in California, where there are radical differences around these issues um, within the cities and outside of them. You know, or in in Texas, where sort of Austin is this kind of holdout republic of um, of uh, of uh, of uh, you know, um, I think like extremism. On, on on distancing and on masking, whereas many of the other big cities in Texas aren't. Um, so it's uh, it's uh, it's it's that 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 kind of extremely placed geographic uh, physical bounding of these phenomena, I think, is also super super interesting. I mean, aside from the fact that it you know has set up this like massive natural experiment in testing how well these various NPIs work, it's just it's so it's so interesting to observe it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I guess um, what I would say, you know, reading this book now sort of after and, you know, first encountering it after um, I, I just found it was very good at capturing the, the strangeness, but the way that the way that the strangeness can be normalized and then kind of what that, you know, what, where these moments were all like flash back in a way that allows me to have some kind of outside perspective on it. Um, I think the way that the the way that the narrator sort of um, ha- you know begins with that and then again kind of gradually becomes absorbed into this situation is it just uh, you know captures something of that feeling that I've been having in a, in a way that that I found um, quite uncanny. So oh good well I'm I'm yeah. I'm glad it's uh, it's prescience uh, is, right. uh, is 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 strongly in effect. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know. Uh, I I mentioned this to you when I when I when we were discussing when I emailed you about coming on the podcast that you know, and I I, I don't I I I am not I'm really not trying to you know like blow anyone up or you know really even criticize anyone because you know people you know they got to follow the dictates of their conscience. Um, but you know when I when I suggested to New Directions that you know I the sort of the discussion of biopolitics in the book might be sort of relevant. You know, the, the internal response from them was, as I said to you, that, you know, they accused me of being a vaccine skeptic. And it's like, I mean, this goes both to your point that um, it's really hard to have a conversation about these sort of issues. I mean, you know, it's sort of banal to cite this, but, you know, the, seeing what's in front of your own nose, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, 
Um, so there's that aspect of it. Um, but, you know, and it, it also brought up another really fascinating one to me, which is for the most part, you know, as far as I can tell, without really a lot of exceptions, um, American creatives, you know, novelists, uh, filmmakers, TV, TV writers, poets, they have by and large kind of sided with the state on these questions. Um, and that, that, that to me is, is, is absolutely, you know, bonkers. You know what I mean? Like this, this community that, you know, rightly or wrongly prides itself on kind of existing, you know, to counter, you know, hegemony, whatever, blah, 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 you know, that for some reason on this, there's this kind of mass movement to kind of sync up with these, in many cases, quite, you know, blunt, disruptive, uh, you know, carceral even uses of state power. Uh, and I don't, I, I honestly do not know what to make of that. I mean, you know, you don't sort of want to accuse an entire, you know, like segment of a nation of being sort of, you know, closet authoritarians, uh, you know, and I suppose novelists, you know, might novelists nowadays like to say there was that sort of extremely dubious study put out uh, a few years ago by Berkeley that purported to show that, you know, reading novels makes you more empathetic. If you actually look at the study, it, it shows nothing of the kind. Uh, rather, the results, if to the extent that they show anything, they show that novels make you more narcissistic by believing, they make you believe yourself to be more empathetic, which I would argue is a form of narcissism. But, you know, there's this, there's this trope among contemporary writers of fiction that, you know, reading fiction makes you more empathetic. It makes you a better person. And maybe, maybe that's a counter argument. Maybe, you know, oh, novelists are, you know, they, 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 they are so full of tender fellow feeling that, you know, they're just so concerned about any, any death, any, 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 any misadventure from the pandemic that, you know, they sided, you know, perhaps idealistically with these uh, measures that in retrospect are starting to perhaps look a bit overstated. On the on the numbers, uh, regardless of kind of what where you kind of come down in terms of sentiment around them, um, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, I, I honestly do not. Um, and I think it is. I think it is. I think it's fascinating that there has been so sort of little pushback, like particularly at this moment where, like, the question of policing, you know, is has sort of never really been more in the mouths of 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 the creative class. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you know, it's to quote Auden, it's, you know, their, their talk and their song. And that's a good thing for sure. But, you know, that does not seem to have led itself to any kind of, you know, questioning of sort of like less um, traditional uses of, of, of police power. You know what I mean? So it's, it, it absolutely kind of, you know, boggled my mind to sort of see this, this acquiescence, for lack of a better word, among, 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 by and large, among, among novelists and poets. Yeah, I mean, this sort of hooks into um, my episode, my episode on Bolaño with Alex Perez um, from a few weeks ago, where, I mean, we were more talking about the, yeah, the politicization of American fiction and, I mean, literature more broadly, kind of in the Trump era. I mean, and not that it wasn't politicized before, but I think it did, oh. it did reach a different level. And, sure. um, and politicization, you know, it's like, I'm willing, you know, I'm totally open to these arguments, whatever, like all literature is political, but I mean, politicization in a pretty boring sense, right? Yeah, you, you mean politicization like, in the, in the party <laughs> politics sense, you know what I mean? Just a yeah, simple in kind the of, sense of like, yeah, 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 yeah. 
in the sense that like literature needs to be aligned with the Democratic Party. Like, yes. Oh, yes. And, 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 and also and... needs to be commenting on the 24 hour news cycle. at all. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Always, you know, always the, 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 the true strength of the novel is to right. is to be an op-ed, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, I've written a little bit about this as well, that like, you know, I mean, I reviewed the uh, Hari Kunzru's um, Red Pill last year. That's, you know, kind of an interesting. Oh, God, that's story. the one. That's the one about the cop, the cop reality show, right? Yeah, it involves that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I kind of I don't know. I was never really a big, huge fan of his. I sort of stopped paying attention after he wrote mm-hmm. White Tears. Not that the subject is without its fascinations, but I mean, like this idea that, like, you know, I don't know, like it, 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 it like he's British. You know what I mean? Obviously, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. his understanding of like the nature of like kind of like white black mm-hmm. dynamics and cultural appropriation in America is so sort of like stiff and schematic and textbook you know what i mean and it's like it just it it bespeaks a complete um unfamiliarity with its kind of like finer grained you know Mm -hmm. ugliness and difficulty and you know everything i don't know if uh if red did i don't know if red pill was like that but i was i was sufficiently put off by by the Mm -hmm. kind of uh you know amateurishness in a way of of white tears i was like eh, i'm not i'm not reading red pill Interesting. Yeah, I think, well, you know, not to get into him too much, but I think he's interesting. I mean, I think he's quite, I think he's quite a good writer, um, but I think- You mean like on a sentence level? But yeah. And, you know, I I think he's good at at creating a mood and just, um, yeah, he's he's got a certain um, verve, which I like. And, you know, even parts of White Tears I liked. Mm -hmm. Um, But although I, yeah, I think your critique is, is spot on, but, you know, he- He's interesting because I think he, on one level, is attempting to go beyond that kind of fast style politicization we were talking right. about and do something more interesting. Right. But on the other level, I mean, we'll just look at his Twitter, you know, it's like. Yeah, yeah, of course, you know, it's, it's like the. And so, you know, on the other level, there's there's kind of that pull. But I mean, what's interesting about Red Pill is that there is a kind of attempt to evoke the seductiveness of I mean, I think, you know, what I liked about White Tears was just the evo- the evocation of the mood of the mic, right? Mm-hmm. Of the, the sort of Delta Blues records and, mm-hmm. and the kind of um, collector's obsession, um, you know, as a, as a kind of um, sort of haunted relationship to the past. And um, I mean, I, I thought there was something very interesting about this. And, and with Red Pill, it's kind of, <laughs> it's actually more of this kind of fascination with very online right, you know, hmm. they're kind of weird, they're, they're kind of weird aesthetic experimentation. And so I mean, he sort of, so he there's admits- this way in which they're, they're, they're sort of, um, you know, evil, but at the same time, there there is a sense that on some level they're they're sort of more aesthetically compelling than because yeah. the the narrator is him you know is is something of a self parody you know he's kind of this like huh feckless you you, like, you make you make bland, it sound li- worth reading bland he's this kind of feckless bland liberal you know who kind of gets um, seduced by this by what just binge watching this cop show to like procrastinate from his writing project that he doesn't huh. write. and then he gets caught up with the the maker the producer of the cop show who's sort of this enigmatic you know sort of charismatic monster huh all right um so it's i'm um so you know in terms of this whole problem of of can you make interesting literature in that kind of culture that that kind of stifling culture describing i I think it's a novel that's like worth reading just with that question in mind um, because I think, you know, it, it probably does a better job of it, although it's definitely not without its flaws. It sort of does a better job of it than uh, 
than many others. <laughs> but I guess I mean, uh, there's a book know, about could, that that just came out, right? Fake accounts. Isn't that sort of the, the, um, yeah, the, the I haven't concept read it behind yet, that? But yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's oh. another one that's kind of, I, th- I think I'll probably do an episode about these novels that are kind of um, engaging with the like very online far right and conspiracy theory sort of world. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are a few that have come out recently. So, but but yeah, so going back to this, I think, you know, <laughs> what I would say is it's it's political in a in a much more interesting way. I mean, I mean, Dog Symphony is political in a much more interesting way. And, you know, partly in, and I wrote about this when I reviewed Red Pill, you know, partly in that it's ambiguous. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you can't read it as a you know, I, I think um, it's a provocation to reflect on at, at least read now. Right. Um, yeah. As opposed to the moment of reception, it's it's a provocation to reflect on the situation we find ourselves in, right? And it doesn't yeah. it doesn't dictate what we're supposed to conclude from that, but it does provide that kind of um, jolting. You know, I've used this term a few times, but sort of defamiliarization that mm-hmm. I think is part of the value of that that political fiction should provide. So, um, so that's my that's my plug. Um, <laughs> well, thank I appreciate and it. I do, and I do recommend uh, people check it out. And um, I was just curious to maybe finish off. Um, are you working on anything sort of, I don't know, COVID themed, either explicitly or implicitly? Or are you? Oh uh, yeah, there's um, there's a, there's a couple things in the hopper. I mean, you know, I have uh, I, I have a tough time with publishers. I've had three publishers for three novels. Uh, you know, I don't really know why. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, must be my charming personality. Uh, but no, I mean, the, you know, it is what it is. Commercial publishing is is difficult. Literary publishing is difficult. Um, so, you know, New, new Directions uh, will not be publishing whatever comes next. I'm sad to say I have uh, nothing but a huge amount of respect for them. Um, but yeah, you know, there's uh, the, the fingers crossed. Uh, there might be another... Uh, uh, Sam Munson book forthcoming in the next in the next few years. So, you know, watch this space, I guess. Cool. Well, I look forward to to that um, when and however it arrives. So, <laughs> um, yeah, best of luck. And Well, thank um, you. So, yeah, and thanks so much for uh, taking the time. It's been a fun conversation and I really, you know, just can't recommend this book enough to uh, to my listeners. So, well, I I I I, I, I thank you. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, I I appreciate you having me on. It was it was great. Thanks. 